Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. Tonight really is the future. It is Thursday, July 2010, and we have special guests today. We have Lucas Gillespie and Peggy Sheehy. Welcome to both of you. Oh, thanks so much, Steve. It's great to be here. I it's my, thanks, our whole guild is our, our whole guild is represented here, <laughs> and, 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 and future guildies. That's guilties. awesome. I, I know I've been I've been just struggling to even understand any of this pre-show chat. The Future of Education is sponsored by Illuminate, my employer. The project I work on for Illuminate is LearnCentral.org. We hope you'll come. It's a social network for educators with Illuminate baked in. We think it's a lot of fun. The Global Education Conference is coming up in November the 15th to 19th, five days, multiple time zones, multiple languages, multiple tracks, and all free. Hope you'll put that on your calendars. It should be a lot of fun. Coming up on the Future of Education, next Wednesday, August 4th, Marcelo Rodriguez on Lifelike Pedagogy, and Marcelo is in the audience tonight. Welcome, Marcelo. Milton Chen from Edutopia on Education Nation on the 10th, Charles Fidel on the Neuroscience of Learning. On the 12th, a unique guest, David Wood, wrote a book called Get Paid for Who You Are, that I think is sort of a harbinger of um, what employment will be like. Carol Dweck from Stanford on the 19th on her great book, Mindset. Uh, Kathleen Cushman on Fires in the Mind. BYU-Idaho Learning Model. You learned about it. Anya Kamenetz's book, DIYU. Lots more fun coming up. Hope you'll find something of value to you. If you've missed the show, last night's show on creating democratic learning communities, that recording is up, as are all of the others. Lawrence Peters last week on global education. Jim Bach on unschooling, self-education, and passion. Uh, lots of other great shows. Uh, hope, again, there's something there that's worthwhile to you. If this is your first time in Illuminate, it is a participative environment. We hope you'll use the emoticons down at the bottom, smiley face, clapping hand. Let us know how you're feeling. If you would like to ask a question, and there will be lots of that tonight, you can use the larger icon with the hand and the green up arrow. That raises your hand, and we will give you the microphone. If you think you're going to ask a question using the microphone, do go up to Tools Audio, run the Audio Setup Wizard to make sure your mic is configured correctly. Uh, you can put uh, notes in the chat to everybody. You can put notes in the chat to specific individuals using the drop-down box. But do remember that those private chat messages are seen by the moderators. So Lucas, Peggy, and I will, will be treated to whatever private messages you send to each other. It does help to see the chat if you go up to View Layouts and switch to Wide Layout. View Layouts and switch to Wide Layout, and that will help you see the chat a little bit better. Okay, your first chance to participate. To the left of the map, you'll see a wand, a laser pointer wand, a wand with a red star at the end. Mm. Click on that, click on the map, and let us know where you're listening from. You can also shout it out in the chat. Fun to know where it is, what time it is maybe. And if you're in sweltering heat, you can complain. Hey, there's uh, Marcelo in Brazil. Looks like Japan. Mm. 
So again, wherever you're listening from, we're sure glad that you're spending some time with us tonight or today, depending on what time zone you're in. And if you're listening to the recording, thanks for thanks for tuning us in. Okay, so I've really been looking forward to tonight um, with Lucas and Peggy, and in part because I feel like I'm just going to learn a ton. This is a world I know very little about. The extent of my knowledge of these games comes from a web show called The Guild, and that's about all I really know. And and I uh, am hoping that you're going to make a case tonight for a better understanding from educators of the value of these games and your specific activities and the things that you've been doing that you feel really uh, are part of a larger educational story. So, shall we start by having each of you kind of give a short bio of yourselves? Sure, I'll start. This is Teddy, um, whose voice is a little bit different than Lucas, so you should be able to differentiate. Um, I am the uh, media specialist instructional technology facilitator at Suffer Middle School in uh, Rockland County, New York. We're about a half hour north of New York City. And um, I am relatively new to gaming. Most of my um, exploration with uh, virtual worlds and immersive environments in education was in Second Life and other MUVEs. Um, I'm only about three years into MMORPGs, um, so I very often bow to Lucas's expertise since he's much more of a seasoned gamer than I. But um, I'm going to let Lucas introduce himself now and then we'll get, get into the saga that is Cog Dis and Wow in School. Uh, thanks, Peggy. Yeah, this is Lucas Galisti, and I'm, am, I am a, uh, an instructional technology coordinator in southeastern North Carolina in a rural school district called uh, Pender County Schools. And um, I have been in education for just over 10 years. Actually, this is this will start year number 12 uh, coming up. So uh, previously worked as a uh, high school science teacher and did that for about seven years before taking a regional position uh, doing technology staff development and technology integration in the classroom. Awesome. Well, I think, um, and Lucas, you know, we're going to make this like any other conversation that you and I have, so just, you know, shut me off when you need to and jump in when you need to and I'll try to come up for Aaron now and then. But um, before we actually get into the WOW in School project, I'd like to tell you briefly, as briefly as possible, my history with World of Warcraft. And really, I attribute this um, to two people. One is Catherine Parsons, who is Victoria and our guildmaster. She is also the assistant superintendent for instruction in the Pine Plains School District here in New York. And Catherine and I were both very active in Second Life, and we were uh, both ISTE docents. And very often, our conversations would turn to kids and education and engagement. And um, we noticed that very often in multiple conversations, World of Warcraft would come up and, and Catherine actually had a friend who brought her into World of Warcraft and then she invited about 12 or 15 of us from Second Life to go over and migrate into World of Warcraft and investigate it and that's how Cogdis was born. Um, she, I'm using the abbreviation, the name of the guild is Cognitive Dissonance. So for those of you who need to have your memories jarred a little bit to remember that term, that's the idea of holding two conflicting ideas simultaneously, cognitive dissonance. Um, and we thought that was an appropriate name for a guild that was um, going to be a guild of educators. And really, our mantra is that we are learning to game, to game to learn. So we're really just trying to find the educational 
value um, and credibility in these off-the-shelf massively multiplayer online, online role-playing games. So that was about two and a half years ago. Um, I now believe the Guild has upwards of 250 members, many of whom are here tonight, which is really cool. Um, we're very international, so regardless of what crazy time of the night you log in, um, there's usually two or three people on from some time zone. Um, primarily, we're east, uh, the eastern hemisphere, uh, western hemisphere rather, and um, you know, across the country. So we have uh, we have quite a representation from Australia. We have some uh, folks from UK. And it's very cool. And we'll be giving you the information later about the Cognitive Dissonance Guild. If you're so inclined to roll a tune and join us, um, you don't have to be a seasoned gamer. You can know nothing in command the way we did two and a half years ago. Or if you are an advanced gamer, um, already have some uh, background with World of Warcraft, you want to move a tune over to Cognitive, so you want to roll a new one, we absolutely welcome you. Uh, Lucas, I'm coming up for air. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Um, well, I can give you a little bit about my background uh, and how I got started in this uh, in this arena. Uh, I grew up a uh, typical child of the 80s uh, with an Atari 2600 in my hand as soon as I could uh, hold it um, and uh, migrated from there to Commodore 64 and, and then just kept on with, with gaming and mostly console and computer-based gaming as I went into college. And it was... Um, my, I think it was my second year of teaching uh, around 2000, uh, 2001, that a student uh, approached me one day in class uh, when I was teaching physical science and said, um, Mr. Gillespie, I, I know you are into fantasy literature and you like um, R.A. Salvatore and authors like that, and I know you like games. Why don't you, um, why don't you give this uh, game EverQuest a try? And so it was there. Um, I, I, Ended up picking it up on a whim uh, one evening at I think it was at Walmart or somewhere like that. So I ended up picking it up, um, and I joined him on the server that he was playing on, and um, and then he and I um, he kind of kind of um, kind of taught me that the role was reversed there, and uh, he he taught me a lot uh, about that. And of course, completely immersed, completely um, just engrossed in the game world uh, and that environment. So many brain buzzes as I was uh, participating, just watching the kinds of things that were going on and realizing um, everything from the subculture of, of the players to the game mechanics to the virtual environment, um, just totally blown away. And so I've been playing these kind of games ever since. In fact, I've, I've tried um, console gaming and, and uh, other types of games, uh, but I always come back to um, always end up coming back to the um, uh, MMO genre because I'm just so uh, enthralled with the social aspects of the game. So Peggy, I don't want to oversimplify Jim G's message about gaming, but is, is yours pretty much in line with that, which is that these games are really well designed to keep people's attention and to help them to learn to go from stage to stage? Well, you know, that's fascinating to start with, Steve, because that's exactly what we were trying to find out when we went into World of Warcraft and started playing. And, and the remarkable thing that we kept observing was, oh my gosh, this is scaffolded learning. This is constructivism at its finest. These, the, the way this game is designed is not only is, is it clever and ingenious and gets you to read and gets you to research, but it's social. And so much of what is substantial in education today and, and, and imperative in education today is this, that social aspect, that participatory culture. And 
MMORPGs support this to the max. But I mean, I can remember being like a, a very beginning, like level seven, level eight, and 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 reading a quest and and going out to resources to help me with it, and and speaking to other guild members who had done it previously, and and. You know, with that teacher lens on, it was just like, oh, why can't school be like this? Why can't school be like this? Why do I want to keep coming back? Because I'm just at the edge of comfortability. I'm, nothing is too hard or too easy. It keeps me interested. It keeps me engaged. It keeps me wanting to try harder and never to give up. And I'm just going to throw a, a link in right now um, for folks to see. We're absolutely not going to watch this, but I definitely want people to have this link. Um, so that they can go back to it at another time. It's a recent TED talk um, where Jane McGongle puts up a darn good argument for um, gaming making a better world. And she addresses a lot of what happens with the um, gaming personality, with, with, you know, that we're not raising a generation, and we can talk about this to, you know, later, but it looks like we'd be preaching to the choir with this audience. But we're not, in fact, raising a generation of um, kids who are violent or kids who are um, sitting in the basement in the dark and not socially minded and not civically minded. But we're raising a generation of, that potentially could solve all the problems of the world if we can harness that attitude, that gaming attitude, that never give up, that epic win, I know I can do it kind of attitude and bring it out into the real world. So I think one of the interesting, uh, and again, I, I, the caveat here is that I'm, this is not an area that I know a whole lot about, but I end up hearing people kind of give pushback. And one of the concerns I hear is that people will say, uh, what if these worlds become more attractive than real life? I mean, you know, if I'm, you know, I'm working at Walmart or I'm, you know, my school is boring and this, the world becomes so attractive that I'm more interested in being there. Does that end up playing out at all or is that a false fear? You know, what do you think, Lucas? Because I, I have very definite opinions about that. Um, yeah, that's a that's a very good point, um, and I think it was, um, uh, gosh, one, one of the speakers that, that I heard recently was talking about, you know, that potential, and, and I think one of the things that we need to look at is, is what is it about someone's real life that, that in comparison would make the game world so much more compelling, um, and again, that harkens back to McGonagall's talk where we need to look at ha harnessing um, that potential, that, that environment that games exactly. produce, um, and, and pushing it into the real world. And that's, you know, that's, my, that's been my experience as a classroom teacher. You know, I had students who um, played World of Warcraft with me, and, and they would, you know, they, they were kind of quiet, um, you know, average students uh, in the class, and you know, some of them were. And, and yet, in the evenings, they were emerging as leaders, leading 25 to 40 people in a very complex raid-type uh, situation. And if you're not familiar with what a raid is, a raid is where you get a large group of people, typically 25 to 40 folks together, and you, you work through a very complex uh, dungeon or to achieve some kind of complex goal in the game world. It requires a lot of leadership. It requires a lot of uh, micromanaging. And these kids who would sit in my classroom very quietly or, or just sort of unassuming average kid from southeastern North Carolina is emerging as a leader in this world. And, and, you know, my question is, what is it about that that empowers that kid 
there to do that. How can I empower that kid in the school to do the same kinds of things and to tackle real-world problems? And I think that's what McGonagall was getting at in her video. If we can harness that, um, we can make the real world as compelling Precisely, as, as the game so world. We've really never had this conversation, this particular aspect of this conversation before, so I can see that we're on the same page with it. And really, Steve, the proof is in the pudding. And that pudding happened in my school last year. Um, we're going to kind of segue it a little bit now into the WOW in School project. Um, but um, when Lucas and I met at uh, Games Learning Society at the University of Madison, what was it, two years ago, Lucas? Three? Three, two, I don't remember. Two, two but anyway, we started, thank you. We started fooling around with this whole idea, and Lucas said, you know, I think I'm going to try it as an after-school club, and I thought, you know what, I could probably get that to fly. And, um, you know, we could talk about the specifics of how we tackle the, the costs and things like that, but um, basically, in my school, and my, my principal, Brian Fox, is actually in the, in the session with us tonight. He's also in the guild, <laughs> so it's pretty awesome. I didn't have too much of a battle when I went to him and said, I want to start a World of Warcraft club for after school. And it, you know, for the teachers in the audience, you know that the after school is the gateway. You know, you, you do it after school, you get your evidence to support that it's a, you know, a strong pedagogical tool, and then you bring it to the mainstream. So last year, um, we had just enough money from uh, uh, some money that the kids in my tech club had won, and the PTA kind of stepped up and helped us out a little bit, that we were able to get a dozen, uh, actually 13, World of Warcraft accounts and game cards for the duration of the school year. So knowing that I could only have this small um, group of kids, I actually gave it some thought. And I knew that Lucas was choosing at-risk, uh, identifying as at-risk population. And, Funny, I took that information and in my head that translated as the kids who um, had IEPs, the kids who maybe had some emotional difficulties, maybe the kids who had social um, problems in school. And they went to the school psychologist, who is also in the guild, Peter Fishkin, Dr. Fishkin. And uh, I went to the school social workers and I said, let's get a list of all the kids, and here's how I put it to them, I said, that don't have a tribe. Yeah, the kids that don't play an instrument, the kids that aren't in a sport, the kids that don't work on the yearbook, the kids that have nothing to do after school, the kids that are kind of, you know, walk, walk around school alone with their head down. Um, and uh, we generated a list, and uh, I sent home a, a parent information letter, which is on the Wound School uh, page if you go to the sidebar. Um, and I, I presented it this way with, with the help of my team at school. I presented it in a very positive light. Not your child has been identified as an at-risk student, but your child has been identified as a student who would greatly benefit from the next, next exciting project at Suffern Middle School, World of Warcraft. And um, gave the parents some basic information about why we were doing it, what we thought the benefits would be. And then um, when the kids came, came back and, and showed interest, we sent home a parental permission slip and we were off to the races. So the kids I chose, I called them the A-team. They were all the Asperger's, the ADHD, the autistic, the, um, the, the kids who just, you know, you, you, they just didn't really seem to fit in anywhere. And I interviewed the kids at the end of the year, asking them four very simple questions. You know, what did you like about World of Warcraft? What could be better about it? Um, what kind of learning has occurred? What have you learned? And do you want to participate next year? And I interviewed the kids by themselves in the room next to where the rest of them were playing. So they, they didn't hear each other's answers. And every single one of them 
said, I've learned how to be more social. I've learned how to communicate better. I've learned some leadership skills. I've learned some teamwork. I've learned, and some of them got real specific, I've learned not to say some stuff and to say stuff at more appropriate times. I've learned how to work through disagreements. I mean, the list went on and on and on. And then I said, well, what did you, what did you learn that a teacher might appreciate that might be connected to a school quote-unquote curriculum? I've learned how to use maps and math skills. I've learned time management. I've learned tons of math. I've learned tons of vocabulary. I'm reading and writing more. Um, it, it just, so not only do we see it as a viable tool to use with this kind of um, at-risk community of kids? But, I mean, go grab it for your gifted and talented. Grab it for your uh, reading, the kids that need support in reading. Grab it as an ESL tool. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. I, I mean, I think everybody should play it, but <laughs> that's me. Lucas, talk a little bit about um, your group of kids. Yeah, okay. Um, so. Being that I'm not based at a particular school, um, it was a little challenging. I didn't have um, really any first-hand knowledge of the kids who ended up participating in our, our program. What I told the principal, well, I, I went and met with the principal, um, yeah, Edie Skipper, and she's an incredible uh, principal. She's doing a really good job, and in fact, she has uh, started picking up and playing World of Warcraft as well. So um, <laughs> it's kind of interesting how that works. but. Um, she and I met and talked about it, and we also met with uh, the teacher at the school who is um, is kind of heading up the program there, uh, Craig Lawson. Craig also um, plays World of Warcraft, and in fact, that's how he and I met, and it, he ended up uh, moving to this uh, part of the country and getting a job in our school system, so that worked out very nice as well. Um, but Peggy, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, um, Edie and Craig and I sat down and we talked about what kind of students we're looking for in this program and uh, wanted to bring in uh, students who kind of just didn't fit in anywhere. You know, they, they weren't necessarily involved in sports, they didn't have some club that they were active in, and they needed something to anchor them in school. And, and a lot of them were, were students who had been sort of identified as, as this is the sort of kid that we see dropping out by the time they reach uh, 16 in high school. So those were the kind of kids we wanted to target and, and give them something to anchor them in school. And so. Uh, the principal and Craig kind of went through um, the list of, of potential students and we kind of talked about what would be involved in the program and that kind of thing and that's how um, those selections were made. And, um, and again, just incredible um, outcomes. I mean, the kids, these kids who typically, you know, are the kids who are attendance issues, kids who didn't want to come to school, were running literally running down the hall to the media center at the at the end of the day. Um, and that was an encouraging thing because they, they wanted to be there, they wanted to participate, and they were so anxious to log in and get started with what we were doing uh, during the day. So um, a lot of similarities in, in what Peggy and I saw even though it played out kind of differently. Yeah, I actually, I actually had in, in my interviews, and I do have those uh, those interviews on film that, that I'm going to be publishing soon. I'm just waiting for uh, a couple of parent permissions. Um, but one student actually said, you know, this is the only reason they come to school because at suffering we made a rule that if you're not in school, you can't show up the club. <laughs> so, so I actually had one student say that. Another student said, you know, actually when I first heard about this, I thought it was going to be kind of lame because it pertained to school and most things in school are pretty lame, but it was really awesome. So, Peggy, we're getting, we're getting some interesting feedback in the chat. Uh, uh, 
a couple of people are asking specifically, can we stop and describe what World of Warcraft is and how it works for those who don't have any, any familiarity with it? Sure. Um, actually, I'm going to defer to Lucas because I, I think he's had this conversation more times than I. It will be more coherent. Sure. Um, Unless you I'll want give me. that a stab. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, so World of Warcraft, um, and, and I have, by the way, uh, let, let me pause and, and just do a shout out. I have at least two former students who are three, maybe three former students uh, that are in the room tonight that just somehow or another got word that I was doing this either through Twitter or Facebook or something. And so um, both WoW player, all of them are WoW players. I'm so excited that they're here, and I'm going to defer to their expertise um, when I mess up some of the stuff. So guys, um, Trip, Plumperot, Corey, if I mess this up, um, correct me. But if I'm not mistaken, Blizzard launched World of Warcraft in uh, the, the end of the year 2004. And uh, so it's, um, it's been around for almost six years now. And um, it started, it's basically, it's a persistent virtual world. It's fantasy-based, or hot, some, what some folks call high fantasy. So it's based off your typical dragons and knights and uh, dwarves and chivalry and those sorts of um, um, those sorts of things. Uh, yeah, very similar Second Life in the sense that you take on the role of an avatar moving in the three-dimensional space. Um, yeah, that's like however Lucas different from Second Life, Bruce. Yeah, there yeah, you go. go. That's, that's no, that's what I wanted you to make sure you clarified that right off the the difference between Second Life and so many things were crystallized for me when I entered WoW. The, the main difference for a someone new to gaming between something like Second Life and World of Warcraft is that Second Life is a user-created experience in the sense that every all the content is user-created. You go in there and, and go in there to function as whatever, as a as a teacher, as a, an artist, as a builder, as a whatever. In WoW, there's what's known as a game engine, which means that they experience the basic game experience, the leveling up, the um, the fights, the raids, the, all these things are built into the game, and yet there's enough mm -hmm. flexibility within the interface that you also have this great social collaboration, so all sorts of other stuff is happening besides the actual playing the game. Okay, can you pick up where you left off, Lucas, now that I interrupted you? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, exactly what Peggy said there, too. So you're, you're taking part in a, in a story world. Um, the best analogy I could come up with uh, would be, imagine if, if you have read Tolkien's Lord of the Rings books or have even seen the movies, um, imagine you are just some, one, one of the, one of the you know, uh, extras in the back, but you've got your own story, you're playing your own role in that storyline. That's very similar to the way this that the way that World of Warcraft works. In fact, there is Lord of the Rings Online, so you could actually get a, a very first-hand experience of that. Um, and so this, uh, this game has been around since 2004. Um, they have uh, expanded the game um, twice and soon three times, so which means they've added new content, new storyline, new developments in the storyline. Um, we saw the emergence of the Outlands, where um, a where the sort of dimensional, this place that existed somewhere else in, in space was opened up a door between the world of Azeroth, which is the world that this takes place in, and, and there. Um, then in the next expansion, we saw the rise of the Lich King, who was a sort of really evil um, 
uh, un, sort of undead uh, former prince who has fallen from from good and, and glory and has kind of went to the dark side, corrupted by power, and, uh, and so that opened up a new continent to explore and, and new challenges. And um, and soon, hopefully uh, this year, uh, we're going to see uh, the third expansion called Cataclysm. Uh, which is going to completely shake the foundations of the planet and uh, kind of tear the old world apart and create all kinds of new experiences for the players as well. Um, as a player, so you start out at level question. one. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, sure. And I'll please, but I just want to make sure that, so for those who are listening, what kind of hardware requirements are there to, to be involved in World of Warcraft? Um, that's, a good, that's a good question. Um, it will run on both the PC and the Mac. Uh, so there is a Mac client and a PC client uh, available, um, and I do think folks get it to run on other uh, platforms as well, like Linux, uh, with a little uh, trickery, uh, things like Wine and those sorts of things. Um, the, as far as the hardware requirements go, of course, you know, the, the faster and the newer your computer, the probably the better results you're going to get. However, um, we're able to run it, and this was the first challenge before I even considered doing this project in our school system was, will it run on a typical Dell um, you know, lab computer? And in fact, it does. Uh, and it runs very well and playable. And this is just a basic um, integrated graphics card, I think one gig of RAM um, out of machine. And it runs very playable. So uh, a credit to the game designers, uh, their efficiency in programming um, and that sort of thing, it, it does really well. So I, I did interrupt yeah, Go ahead. The, the site I just posted, Steve, is um, from Henry Jenkins. It, it's a, an essay that Henry wrote, uh, Reality Bites, Eight Myths About Video Games Debunked. And he goes through all the classic um, things that people will respond to that have not played and have not learned personally to see the value in this um, about, about video games. Um, um, talking about things like, um, you know, video games have been used to train soldiers to kill, so why don't they have the same impact on the kids who play them? Or video games are not a meaningful form of expression, or it's socially isolating or desensitizing. And um, Henry basically gets in there and gets the facts and the research, and I mean, some of his research is from the Department of Education, etc. Um, and just really puts it out on the table, you know, because I noticed there was a conversation, I'm trying to keep up with the chat, there's a conversation about, you know, what about the kids are going to get addicted? Well, what about the kids who are going to get, you know, addicted to Legos or addicted to, to, you know, if you have an addictive personality, you're probably going to get addicted. So what we need to do is, is address that by saying, okay, what's the help? We had that discussion with my kids. What's a healthy amount of time to play? Now, my kids only play two hours after school every day with me. I had the logins. I had the passwords. They, they were not playing from home, etc. Um, half of them said that they were asking for this as their next birthday present or their next, you know, big gift or whatever because they wanted to play more than that. But they were all playing other games at home. Um, and people ask me, you know, how can you spend three, four hours a night playing World of Warcraft? And they say, well, most people spend three or four hours a night watching television or, you know, whatever it is your hobby is. You know, this is it. And it's social. I'm in there with my friends. That's where I hang out with my friends. Yeah, it totally beats the Bachelorette. I'm just saying. <laughs> so I remember, <laughs> so I remember talking about social networks three years ago and having people say, you know, how could they possibly have value? And now we see, you know, the value of social networks, especially for professional development and amongst educators. 
it, it, it is, and, and if you were to, if I go to speak to an audience now and ask people to raise their hand, how many of them are members of Facebook? It's now it's the overwhelming majority. Are we going to see the same kind of acceptance of these games? Do you think over the next couple of years, are some of these questions going to get resolved through cultural dialogue, and and will we will we see increased acceptance in the same way that we've seen with social networking? I I believe so. I mean. Five years ago, when I was traveling around conferences presenting about education and second life, it, you know, it, it was no man's land, and you know, nobody had heard of it. Nobody, and now it's kind of like, oh yeah, it's, it's well accepted, and people, you know, are familiar with it, and um, you know, it's no longer like this out of the box kind of thing. It's, it's, and I think the same thing. I think there's been a movement for quite some time about games for education, but they just in my humble opinion, those games that specifically touted for education have just fallen short of the mark. And I know why they've fallen short of the mark. They don't have the multi-billion dollar business behind them that Blizzard has or these other major game companies have. Um, but you can't ask a kid who's playing World of Warcraft or, or Halo or even Grand Theft Auto, you can't ask them to come from that rich, lush experience and go into this rinky-dink little game that somebody presents to them as an educational game. Um, so what, what my big vision is, is to get these major game corporations a little bit, I mean, Blizzard's not going to wrap their game engine around our social studies curriculum. That's not going to happen. But we can find the social studies curriculum or connections to it or support of it inside World of Warcraft. And until such time as something comes down the pike that is as rich and lustrous as these uh, multi-billion dollar games that have millions of people playing and paying a subscription every month, um, I'm going to use what I can get my hands on. And right now I can get my hands on World of Warcraft and I see the learning that goes on. There are a couple of questions here about age, the legal age to play, and also concerns about uh, youth uh, playing with adults and, and and is that societally okay? Uh, I, I, here, let, let me tell you my experience. I had the option of blocking. There's something in World of Warcraft known as trade chat. We should see some comments in, in, in the uh, webinar chat now. But um, Trade chat can get pretty raunchy. Trade trade chat is, you know, anybody saying anything they feel like saying, and you can keep filters on or whatever. And I have the option of turning the filters on or totally blocking the trade chat. And I left it open. And I left it open because I thought we're going to have some aha moments. We're going to have some learning opportunities here. And you know, nothing faced them. There was nothing that made anybody uncomfortable. You know, I played with them all the time, so I was reading whatever they read. And once in a while, I'd see something in trade chat and think, oh, we're going to start. This is going to start a conversation or something, and, and you know, kind of rolled off them. Now, I did tell my kids that um, you know we, we went over good digital citizenship and online safety and things like that. That you know, no real information goes out, not, not even your age or anything like that. So once in a while, one of my students would say to me, "Hey, Miss Shitty, somebody just asked me how old I am," and I, I would you know would say, "Well, you know the rules, so you know you just tell them you don't share that information." And they, they got that down to a science, they got that pretty solid. Um, but on the positive side of playing with adults, I presented out uh, this summer 
I presented at it. It's the, uh, it's kind of an impromptu uh, World of Warcraft. But uh, Dean Groom had a session that was a roundtable, and he just kind of said, you know what, you, you need to talk about this. So we did a last minute, you know, shout it out to the social network that that's what the topic of the roundtable was going to be. And we had about 40, 50 people in the room, and I just showed a few of the slides about WoW in school and started the conversation. And this young girl, this 12, 13, almost 13-year-old, was there with her mom at the conference. And she raised her hand, and she stood up, and she said, I've been playing World of Warcraft since I was seven. And she said, I, and she went through this whole, I couldn't have written a better speech. She said, I've learned this and this and this and this and this. And she was talking about math and science. She did her, her uh, science fair project based on stuff in World of Warcraft. She did her math projects based on stuff in World of Warcraft. But then the audience was intrigued by this young girl talking. She was very poised and confident. And her mother later said, you know, that poise and that confidence came from playing this game. She said, I don't at all feel to her. I don't, you know, I, I, she knows. I said to uh, somebody in the audience, pardon me, said to her, um, do people you play with know how old you are? And she said, no, I don't share that information. Like, like she looks at them like, what, are you crazy? You know, no, everybody knows that kind of thing. Um, but she went on and on to say, I said, well, do you know how old the people are in your guild? Because she belonged to a guild. And she said, I have no idea. I assume half of them are adults and some of them aren't adults. And, and I said, do you ever lead raids? And she said, oh, yeah, all the time. So this 12-year-old kid, almost 13, is in a guild, and she's running these very complex, very, very complex raids of 25, 10, 25 people, which means that she's basically giving direction, um, stepping back when the team knows what to do. Um, she's basically setting the pace, suggesting alternative approaches. She's running the show. Where is this 12-year-old going to get that experience anywhere else? So I'm going to hearken back to something Lucas said, which is uh, there's, a, there's a, an interesting little kind of full circle that this brings us around to. Um, if we're not providing those opportunities in uh, our students and our children's regular lives, then of course they are. This is going to be very attractive to them, and in many ways, I think it would uh, be interesting to kind of tell the story of will this, uh, will this kind of activity and others sort of radically change teenagers, teen years, because they will demand and, and should demand to have more participation in the things that they do. I hope so. I, I hope that's what the outcome. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I, I think that I think should be what it what it is. It creates a situation where students have to, and hopefully respectfully, but have to demand um, more out of their education and out of out of their experiences, and and hopefully they will create more. Uh, and I think we see some of that emerging in through social media and, and and the kind of trends that we see emerging in the online world. Anyway, um, when I when I'm not getting what I need, I will fill that that gap or fill that, that need somehow or another. Um, and I, I see that uh, happening with students. So where do we go from here? Uh, we've got about 20 minutes left. Uh, if there are questions, I think this is probably a good time to start fielding questions. You can do so by raising your hand using the the icon of the hand with the green up arrow at the bottom of the participant window. 
and it looks like Matthew has a question. So, uh, Lucas and Peggy, can can we move to Q and A? Is that okay with you? Please, let's let's oh, do. Oh, sure. Some. Uh, just before we move to Q and A, just let just let me reinforce something with folks. Um, the guilt the the website that you see up with the World of Warcraft in the School site. Please come and join it, even if you just lurk. Um, we really want this to be a collaborative effort. Even if you don't have the opportunity to work with students in World of Warcraft at your school, you can still contribute curriculum or ideas or reflect or constructive criticism, and you can still certainly come in and join us in cognitive dissonance and play with us. Always a soap opera. <laughs> okay, Matthew, go ahead. So Matthew, your mic is staying on. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I have a, a one point and then also a question. Um, when I started playing uh, multiplayer, massive multiplayer on online role playing games, you know, people talked about um, you, you meet online people that are terrible, and uh, and on the other hand, one thing that I was struck by was just how many. Uh, generous people you meet in that community and I, I, I just feel that uh, the internet even though it's poo-pooed by a large portion of the society some of them the older generation some people who maybe don't use it a lot they think that the internet's isolating and it causes people to be antisocial but my experience has been largely good that it, it helps to, it, it gets rid of the inhibitions that keep people from being generous with one another. If I was sitting next to somebody at a bus stop, I wouldn't feel comfortable offering them uh, some gum, but if I'm playing game, a game with them, I would, out of the blue, if I see somebody that needs some help, I might help them in a way that I wouldn't in, out in the real world. So that's the point that I wanted to make. And then the question I have is, uh, I'm, all, I'm interested in uh, the curriculum, the curricular ties to the game playing, because I love to play and I would really enjoy playing with the students. On the other hand, and I would also like to feel that I am really clearly tying what we're doing to the curriculum. So, could you talk maybe about what, how you tied what you did to the curriculum in your school? Um, sure, I, I'd, I'd be glad to address that. A um, couple of things is we, and it's from my point of view in the project this year, um, we were more informal. Running it as an after-school program, as was mentioned earlier, was sort of our foot in the door to to get through a lot of logistical things to see if uh, if this was really possible and what it would begin to look like uh, taking place in the public school environment. Um, so uh, the things we kind of worked on earlier was communication skills. Um, Peggy did a great project with her students uh, on communication skills. Um, we looked at things like leadership. The students were uh, running for, they created their own guild. They, they voted um, on the guild name that they liked. They wrote stories about uh, their characters, so it was creative writing pieces and things like that. Um, and, and so that kind of opened up the, the doorway for next year, which I'm really excited about, but we have a tremendous amount of work to do um, where we're actually going to be offering it as a, an elective that takes place during the school day um, as a language arts elective. 
And so right now uh, I'm in the process and, and Peggy's helping out and Craig Lawson and other folks are contributing um, to creating a 36-week um, a course. Um, and actually we're developing it entirely in Moodle. And so the idea is then to take everything that we're doing um, in that course and align it to national standards and things like that. So um, pretty exciting stuff there. But we've, we've hit on topics, everything ranging from um, environment, uh, environmental science uh, and nature. Um, to looking at cultures and comparing in-world cultures to real-world cultures and um, lots of writing, lots of leadership types of things, lots of things focused on digital citizenship too. But all that's in the wiki though, so just jump in there. Um, we have some great full-fledged lesson plans that were uh, written by an educator here in North Carolina who unfortunately we're losing to Kansas uh, named Helga Brown. Um, she's just incredible, um, kind of jumped in and, and really did a lot of groundwork there. So that does raise a question. Um, uh, Cindy saying, could, would you make the Moodle available? Is the PBWorks um, wiki site yeah, the best place for gathering together? Yeah, the, the PBWorks site is the best place for, for sort of the collaboration piece. And, and the purpose for using Moodle was to make it available uh, to everyone so that we could package it up and, and people could modify it and do whatever they wanted to with it, adapt it to whatever curriculum that they were doing. Is there a Ning-like or social community for educators using World of Warcraft in schools? I would say that the Cognitive Dissonance Guild um, is is the best place to to kind of make those that connection, and then of course through the wiki. Um, but we do not have a Ning set up at the at the time. There is in Facebook. Um, there is a page um, devoted to the project in Facebook too. So you could look for that as well, and uh, that could be. There, there's a fairly good established group there. It's not very active. Most of the activity is taking place uh, on the wiki, but that Facebook page could certainly be um, that point as well. Seems like uh, we should start a World of Warcraft group in uh, Classroom 2.0, at least just to point people in the right directions for materials if, they're, if they come looking. Hey, Lucy Barrow asked a question uh, in the chat. She was interested to know how parents have reacted in terms of the fantasy and fantasy violence content. Well, uh, let me uh, share with you my experience with that. Um, first of all, my kids are seventh and eighth graders. Um, I didn't have any negative parental responses whatsoever to um, the fantasy content. I think the content in WOW is pretty mild compared to the content on TV Friday nights. I really do. Um, there's not graphic blood and guts the way there is in some MMORPGs. Um, there's death and dying and, and fighting and raiding, but there's also questing and exploring and helping, and um, you know, I'd say maybe a third of the quests have nothing to do with killing things. They have things to do with, with finding resources and locating and solving puzzles. And um, so it's not just about your armor and your gear and, 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 and how, how buffed you are. It's also about how you can critically think and problem solve and doing it all in a social context. I can't emphasize that enough. And I really want to, uh, um, maybe Lucas, you can just type her name in there for me. I really want to steer people towards the work of Constance Steinkeeler from the University of Madison. Um, she's been researching this uh, whole teens and MMORPGs for quite a while. And um, she's done some fascinating mm -hmm. research where she worked with 25, um, 25 high school, um, 10th grade, I believe they were, boys. Uh, after school every day for two years, they played World of Warcraft, and she 
you know, methodically, her research her, it is is all for her uh, doctoral work and what have you. So I mean, it's 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 full tilt. Will be correctly done empirical research. But she basically, um, you know, looked at the uh, Lexile reading levels of a social studies textbook these kids had and of uh, found a comparable World of Warcraft page and tested them at the beginning of their gameplay. And a lot of them tested on like the fourth or fifth grade reading level. Um, and then after two years, she retested them. And in the social studies text, their reading had only improved slightly. But in the world of Warcraft, since she actually took something from Wild Wiki, um, they were reading beyond college. Now, I brought this, I, I couldn't understand this. I, I brought this to my reading specialist at my school. And I said, explain this to me. Is this really possible? And she said, absolutely. And she said, she said now you have to understand that their reading has improved so much, but it's genre specific. Meaning, you know, they're reading in this one genre, you know, that won't necessarily help them read the New York Times, but, you know, it's going to help somewhat. So just looking at Constance's research, um, when I moved into the, the Moodle work with Lucas and looked at the Hero's Journey course, um, originally Lucas had proposed mm -hmm. that his kids were going to probably read The Hobbit, maybe, and then play World of Warcraft, and I looked at maybe reading The Hobbit and playing Lord of the Rings online. Um, but then I talked to some more teachers, and, and it could really be any hero's journey kind of novel. It could be the Iliad. It could be, um, you know, let the kids choose their, their book. Um, and we can pull the literacy out and make those connections. And I'm not just talking about setting and characterization. Um, I'm talking about real rich underlying themes that would lend themselves to, to profound discussion. I keep trying to stop and come up for air so I can let somebody else talk. Well, I've got a couple of questions that have come mm -hmm. up in the chat. Um, one of which is cost. How much does it cost to to own World of Warcraft? Um, well, first off, you need to buy the software. And um, currently, um, you can expect to pay, I think it's around $29.99 at Walmart for the World of Warcraft Battle Chest, which includes um, the basic game plus the first expansion. And that will get you a allow you to level a character from level 1 to level 70. Uh, to add the Wrath of the Lich King expansions, another $29.99. Um, and that will allow you to continue your character from level 70 to level 80 and open up a couple other options for you. Um, and then you have the subscription fee, which averages about $15 a month unless you subscribe in larger chunks at a time. Um, the way that we handled it, um, we purchased for students um, the World of Warcraft Battle Chest so they could potentially level all the way up to level 70, and then we purchased, um, since we couldn't use a credit card for the school system, we purchased um, game subscription cards, uh, which are 60-day cards, and they, they run about $30 a piece. Um, and that we got enough of those to get through the, through the year with the project. And then... Um, we, we approached it the same way, Steve. Yeah. You know, and and uh, we had some seed money from, from a contest the kids had won, and then the PTA chipped in some money, and we did it the same way with the game cards. Okay, so another question, and this, Peggy, I think is particularly good for you, would be, um, and, I, and you may have talked about this at the beginning, but Lisa asks about virtual environments instead, and their use rather than World of Warcraft or these massive games. 
um, virtual environments in lieu of massively multiplayer online role-playing games? Is I think that's what question? Lisa means. Yeah, she said she said instead. So, I, and I and I think you were saying sort of early on that the level of engagement, the fact that these aren't, uh, you know, that they're actually created uh, and calculated for scaffolded learning, um, that they are a different experience in your perspective from a virtual environment. Yeah, I, I'm looking and seeing Lisa, Lisa's correcting us. Virtual environments includes wow. Um, but the, the, the difference is I'm still a, a really strong proponent of using virtual worlds, you know, massive uh, multi-user virtual environments where you create the experience. That's what I do with my kids in Seventh Life. And um, we have some teachers who have just created some amazing learning experiences um, with everything from body image to, to social studies and, and immigrant experiences and what have you. But that's really the environment where the teacher can come to me and say, I want a globe theater and I want the kids to perform and you know, we can, we can use um, different things to, to, to make that happen. Um, WOW is a different experience. Um, WOW is a game experience. WOW is a leveling experience. WOW is a, is a team building collaborative experience. Um, the same wonderful thing happens whenever, in my, in my experience, whenever a student functions as avatar. The same wonderful thing happens in that there's a semblance of anonymity. And you know, Lucas is, is, uh, is known to have said, well, anonymity can be a good thing or a bad thing, but in most cases we find that it's a good thing. Now, the kids are not truly anonymous. Even in Second Life, the teacher knows who they are if they have chosen not to share their real life information with their classmates. But 95% of them go into Second Life and the first thing they do is tell each other who they are. Their avatar names have no connection to their real life identity. And yet they still function as they go along, as they do projects. They still function under this guise of, of anonymity. Whereas they say things to me, they literally say things like, you know, I'm not good at math, but my avatar is. And this is the whole psychosocial moratorium. And those of you who have heard me speak before, I speak to this at great length. But basically, go back to Eric Erickson and your, you know, your one ed psych course you had to take in your undergrad work. We talked about you know, the psychosocial moratorium being an environment that teens need to explore their personalities without the fear of consequence. And, and that's what happens when, when anyone functions as avatar, not just teens. So you have that happening in both World of Warcraft and in other um, multi-user virtual environments like Quest Atlantis and Second Life and um, these, you know, other ones that are coming up the pipe. But the beauty of it is, is that the kids are given permission. They're all of a sudden allowed to be smart. They're allowed to be a scientist. They're allowed to function as a mathematician or a journalist or an architect, you know, whereas they're not bringing in those peer pressures and those labels and those, you know, I literally, mm -hmm. you know, I'm quoting a student when, when they said, I'm not good at math, but my avatar is. Meaning when he went into Second Life and had this math problem and this whole project to do in math, he went in with a clean perspective, a clean slate, a level playing field, and he was successful. So I, I think it's not in lieu of, I think both massively multiplayer online role playing games and virtual environments such as Second Life that do not have a game engine in them. I think they both serve fantastic purposes for education. Good. Well, if I've missed any questions, please feel free to post them again in the chat. We have uh, probably time for one or two more. You can also raise your hand by clicking on the hand with the green up arrow that's at the bottom of the participant window. Um, 
I'd like to do a shout out, Steve, to um, Bron Stuckey is in is in the house tonight, and Bron is um, the international liaison for Quest Atlantis, which is another um, game virtual environment. Um, it is out of Indiana University, and it is free. And uh, you have to register as an educator, and you can bring your students in. And it's for the younger kids as well. So you know, when when my teachers came to me and said, "Well, what about our sixth graders? What about our fourth graders?" Quest Atlantis is the way to go. And um, Bron, maybe you'll just post a uh, a link to the QA website because uh, there we need to get the information out there to people that you know we can't keep handing these kids worksheets and textbooks and lining them up in rows or even putting a laptop in front of them without having something engaging and, and something that is, is collaborative and social for them in which to participate. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And um, I would like to, to ask, and I don't know, I know Tripp has been, is here still and pretty active in the conversation. Uh, and I'm not sure if Plumper Rock and Corey, if you guys are still here, but if, if the three of you have anything that, that you particularly remember that something you, you felt like World of Warcraft and, and games and, and those kinds of games in general um, taught you um, that you felt they, they were good at teaching uh, and you want to share those, just, um, just type them out in the chat room. I, I'd, like to, I'd like the audience to get the student perspective as well. So could we also give Bron the microphone for a second, Bron, if you would like to describe uh, Quest Atlantis? Oh, please do. Oops. So Bron, I've given you the mic. If you're brave, feel free to turn it on, or you can put a note in the chat that you don't have a mic or you're not set up for that. To turn your mic on, you would click on the larger mic. There you go. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, well, Quest Atlantis is a virtual world game um, for students aged between the ages of 9 and um, 16. And it's kind of where education, entertainment, and social values come together. So um, it's really worth exploring if you're looking at um, something to lead into um, other games, a precursor perhaps to going into other virtual worlds or into other games. It's a fantastic learning space, and it's developed by Indiana University. It has no commercial interests, and um, comes from the best of pedagogy, um, inquiry learning, and um, and I think we have. Um, I'm looking down the list here. We have probably ten teachers who are involved in Quest Atlantis, and the group who um, can better speak to how well it serves in the classrooms. But certainly something worth looking at. And I, I'll put a few links in the chat so that people can pick up on that if they're interested. Um, we have teacher professional development induction coming up in, uh, in the next couple of weeks. So if you wanted to get this started in your school at the start of the U.S. school year, perfect timing. And thanks for the mic. Bron, thank you so much. So Lisa Lynn has raised her hand as well, and I'm going to turn on the telephone bridge. Lisa, are you on the telephone bridge there? If you are, we can't hear you. Barely. Okay, now my mute's off. I didn't want to be bothering everybody with my um, typing noise. Um, yeah, my main question was, if there are students of either Lucas or Peggy in, in the chat room here, what was their aha moment, assuming that they hadn't any MMO or more Peg experience prior to the WOW in School project? Did they have moments that were just 
ahas. I, that's the best way I can put it, I guess, but things that really changed their thinking about school. I think everybody should take a look at what Corey put in chat. And Lisa, um, there, uh, there are no, none of my WOW in School students are, are in here. Um, I'm not in touch with them over the summer, which is a shame because I would have loved to have had them participate. Uh, I think the students Lucas was referring to are students um, he's been playing with for uh, quite some time, um, not necessarily kids who are new to the WOW in School project. They're, they're older students, I believe. Lucas, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, so Corey, um, you'll have to remind the group, I, I can't remember how long you've been out of school, <laughs> sorry. Uh, and I know Tripp is just finishing up um, pretty soon, I think this year, at North Carolina State University and is going into education. And I hope that he gets a job very close by because we might be able to expand the project. Um, uh, but so uh, Tripp is a former student, and as is Corey. Um, and of course, we all played World of Warcraft. See, that, that's a sort of another thing that kind of um, brought this on um, was that I, you know, when I got into this, who else was I going to play with? None of my fellow teachers uh, down the hall, you know, the English teacher across the hall from me, would, would peek in when we were having discussions about virtual worlds and games and that sort of thing, and, and look at me like I'd grown extra eyes and that kind of thing. It was, uh, uh, you know, so who else am I going to relate to but my students? Who else am I going to play with but my students? It was the, you know, it was the only logical um, thing to do, and um, and so that's that's kind of how it started. You know, when when I recruited people for my guild, it was my students typically. Um, and so what it did, it gave us, it, it gave me um, a real connection with those students um, that. You know, it's this, the kind of connection that a, that a real involved coach might have, and and that sort of thing. Where, um, you know, I get to know the students. The students hang out in my room. We have something to talk about. And we have a context for conversation. But it also gives me a context to say things like, "Hey, uh, don't forget you have a test tomorrow. You need to go study. You need to log out," um, and that kind of thing. And it gave me opportunities for teachable moments that didn't necessarily relate to my curriculum, but but that you know were things that. Um, you know, we, we needed to talk about address and things like that. So, um, yeah, they read their comments because they, they can speak volumes. Yeah, in reference to that, too, what Zoe just put in really supports that um, playing as a family um, and the discussions that, that would emerge from different issues that arose in game. So I was having so much fun, I didn't even notice we went past the hour. So I'm going to clap because I think you've both done a really wonderful job here. And that's a little clapping hand at the bottom of the participant window. And unfortunately, I have a commitment tonight, so I can't hang around too much longer. But where would people go besides the, I guess they go to the wiki for these conversations? And is there anywhere else that you're having conversations like this if people want to keep talking? Yeah, in Azeroth, <laughs> Sisters of the Loon, <laughs> come and join the guild. Oh, that's so good. Okay, thanks everybody for coming tonight. And next week, Marcelo Rodriguez running a school in Brazil that I think the two of you would love because I think they're doing all of the things in school and life that you're that you're saying that you're hoping that the that the games would bring out in, in actual activities. So I think we're going to be switching from one end to the other, but if, but I think the two go well together. 
Uh, Lucas, very nice to meet you. Vicki, so nice to have you on the show as well. Likewise, thank, Steve. Thanks. Oh, thanks, Steve. My pleasure. And, and thanks to everyone in the audience. That, that, that chat is just, I'm catching up with it now. The right. chat is just fabulous. So I'm not going to bump anybody out until you've had time to go up. And if you want to, you can go to File, Save, and you can save the chat conversation. So if you have been interested in the chat and you don't want to miss out on all of the references or texts or links there, I'll give you a minute. Go up to File, Save, and save the chat conversation. In about three or four minutes, though, I do have to kick everybody out so that the recording can post tonight. Uh, you can go to futureeducation.com, and later tonight you should be able to see the full Illuminate recording or download the MP3 file. Thanks, Peggy. Thanks, Lucas. Thanks, everybody, for coming tonight. Have a great night. Thanks so much, Steve. Uh, to my students who are still in the room, guys, how awesome that you guys showed up. I mean, I didn't even, I didn't even have to prod you or offer you gold in world to get you to come. That's awesome. Um, thanks for coming. Um, so cool. Yeah, I'll second that. Any time the student voice is heard, it's, it's, a, it's a good day.